Thanks for listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos and the PCC Multiverse. Check out more great podcasts today on one of these awesome affiliate networks. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. The Tangibound Network. Check it out. Tangiboundnetwork.com. Listen to this show, the latest episode, every time. A proud member of the Good and Geek Network. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other geeky podcasts over at gunnageeknetwork.com and get ready because geekiness begins in 3, 2, 1. On this week's episode, guess what? Spider-Man is back in the MCU. Mario Kart isn't quite what it used to be. And what's our favorite Geico commercial? All this and more as we once again delve into the pop culture cosmos. Welcome to the pop culture cosmos. And we're back with another episode of the pop culture cosmos. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos, Game Source, Inside Sports Fantasy Football, and the Lakers Fast Break Podcast. Thank you so much for listening to all of our great programs. But it wouldn't be a pop culture cosmos without my good friend. He's our own gecko of Pop Culture Cosmos. You got to check out everything that he's doing today at popculturecosmos.com, popculturecosmos.wordpress.com, his book, Congratulations, You Suck, Humanica Media, and so much more. It is my good friend. It is Josh Peterson. Back from detention, baby. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's been a week, man. How's it going? Pretty good, pretty good. I want to thank Ben Arnaud from the Smoking Hot Confessions for stepping in for you. Just truly appreciate his thoughts. So you want to check it out. It's on our Friday show, The PCC Multiverse. He had some great thoughts on what's going on with Marvel and Star Wars and DC and all that good stuff there. But it's going to be a great show we've got for you today. We've got a lot of things to talk about, including a certain spider coming back into the MCU. We're also going to have, as well, Jamie and Tony Monroy from Game Source, who we recorded from the grand opening of Retro City Games' second location in Town Square on Las Vegas Boulevard in Las Vegas. They are going to be talking about the controversy surrounding Mario Kart Tour, the latest mobile game that Nintendo has brought out. Plus, we're also going to be talking at length about Star Wars, Jedi Fallen Order, and The Last of Us 2. They both brought out new trailers that go into more depth in regards to the story for both. So we're going to talk a little bit more about are we more interested in both games or if you're just interested in one or if either really doesn't have the magic as of yet. Plus, we're back on the countdown of the top 200 video games of all time. This time, we're going to be counting down number 81 to number 90 on this week's show. Plus, last but not least, we're also going to be on the back end of the show talking about our favorite Geico commercials because I came across an article this week talking about what the fans out there of these Geico commercials thought was their favorite Geico commercials. So we thought we'd chime in with our own favorite Geico commercials as well. But, you know, it all starts off with the latest news, my friend. And that Spider-Man, hmm, that was a long time. I'll tell you what, Spider-Man is looking a lot better these days because the powers that be at Sony and Disney and Marvel all came back together. I think what happened was news reports were saying that the reason for the split in the first place, obviously, was because of money and cuts and shares and things like that, was based on a higher top executive level for both Sony and Disney and Marvel, and they just couldn't come to agreement well, it looks like that some of the producers for both Sony and Marvel have gotten together and, and were able to go ahead and supersede this situation and go ahead and, and bring a new agreement. And as of right now, it looks like Marvel is going to be helping to produce the next Spider-Man movie when it comes out in two years. Plus also, Spider-Man will be making an appearance in an upcoming most likely phase four film or television project. They haven't exactly said which. Of course, it's probably going to be a surprise, something like that. The most important thing is now the door is back open once again for Spider-Man in the MCU, and it has been alluded to that there could be more agreements for Spider-Man going back and forth in the near future after that as well. So 
I want to hear your thoughts, man, with Spider-Man coming back into the MCU. Even we speculated that at some point in time this would have to happen, but I'm wondering why it happened so soon. Well, it sounds like Marvel had plans for Spider-Man going down the line that they were waiting to make an announcement about, and then the, their deal didn't go through. I guarantee you, you go into a like a meeting room with Marvel, Disney, they're 100% confident that they're going to get what they want. And Sony actually told them no, which is good because it's like telling a, a spoiled little kid, you don't always get your way. So I think what happened was they had to sit back and one, and they were waiting for Sony to say, okay, well, we'll take the deal, but they never did. So it sounds like they had to come to a different agreement. And while I'm glad Spider-Man's back in the MCU, this agreement feels very limited because it's for one more Spider-Man film and one more Spider-Man Avengers appearance. So what does that mean during that limbo between Spider-Man and Avengers? Are we still going to be able to see Spider-Man cross paths with Venom? Like, I was kind of getting excited for that, you know, that possibility. So oh, I think you will. I don't think that there's a doubt that at some point in time, either in the next Venom movie, you're going to see something with Spider-Man or in the next Spider-Man movie, you're going to be something with Venom. I just have not had any confirmation as yet if Venom is going to be appearing in the MCU. And right now, I think you'd have to say that Venom is still off the table for the MCU. But I know at least sometime in phase four, we will most likely be seeing Spider-Man again. I hope so. You know, I'm not really okay with what I know Sony wants to develop their own Spider-Verse, but do you see that article about them making a Madam Web movie? I don't think her character is, is nothing without Spider-Man, though. Like, you can't have a Madam Web film. It's just it's not interesting. She's not an interesting enough character without Spider-Man. What makes her interesting is her interactions with Spider-Man and having him discover all these things that she's capable of doing. But without him, it's just, it's, what is it? You know, it's not something that I would really be interested in. So I would like to see Spider-Man kind of waltz around the, the Sony Spideyverse a little bit. I'm going to tell you, my friend, I think there are very few properties in the Spider-Verse that can actually score a huge opening or score enough money to justify it being on the silver screen. I think something like Madam Web, Craven the Hunter, I know we've talked about a lot of other related individuals in the Spider-Verse that have been offered or are going to have their own projects of some kind. I don't think all of them should go to the big screen. I mean, I know Sony doesn't really have something outside of Crackle to go as far as the streaming service is concerned, but they could take a lot of these side characters, they could take a lot of these different stories in the Spider-Verse and put it onto a streaming or television platform and make those special in and of themselves, similar to what Marvel's doing with their stuff as far as Disney Plus is concerned. I think it's going to be very touchy if you're going to get Madam Web, uh, you know, and all the other names we've mentioned in the past that are kind of on the fringe or a lot of regular consumers don't really know about. I mean, Marvel's about ready to push in phase four a lot of individuals that we are not as a collective whole familiar with. So they're taking a big risk. And I don't see Sony being able to take that same big risk because they did take one with Venom. Venom was not exactly 100% a surety that they were going to go ahead and make money off that. But fortunately for them, they did. And they're making it a sequel too. I think that they need to reevaluate exactly how much they want to put onto the silver screen because they don't seem to have the unlimited funds for their movies that Marvel and Disney do. And Marvel can afford a failure with Shang-Chi or the, Inter the Eternals or any of the unfamiliar properties that they're putting on screen. They can afford that. In fact, they could afford the gamble that was the Guardians of the Galaxy. They could afford those type of gambles i'm not sure sony can for me i think the properties that should stay on the silver screen are venom spider-man and the sinister six i think those are three properties that can generate a lot of income financially for them on the big screen everything else should be relegated to a streaming format where they can go ahead and build their own audience and go from there yeah, I agree, you know, especially with Sony's history uh, with uh, the Spideyverse and how, you know, back during the Andrew Garfield films, you know, we discussed this before, they're talking about doing a Aunt May movie with Stally Fields and there's Black Cat, Silver Sable. Maybe that would have been cool, but like, there's just, they have- Uncle Ben, you should have tried an Uncle Ben show. <laughs> right, right. It, who knows? Maybe they had something like that planned, but they really produce anything and everything they can just because they love the idea of all the money that it made, but that's not what it's about with Spider-Man. 
You need to put the characters on the big screen that are interesting and can really hold the franchise. Like I think Venom can hold the franchise because he's got several comic books of his own outside of Spider-Man. You know, there's Agent Venom, there's Venom, there's the time that Venom led the Dark Avengers. There's all that good stuff to play around with. But uh, with some of these smaller properties like Morbius, I don't, why? Why are we getting a Morbius film? And I think this is why it took so long for Marvel and Sony to play ball with each other just because Sony's out there messing everything up. So I, there are, yes, there are a few characters that should stay on the silver screen, but all those other things, they should go to a streaming platform. I, I want to know more about what went on in this deal. And I'm sure as the next few days unfold, we'll find out exactly what was, what was in the contract or what's in the deal, what we can expect. But I, I um, I'm, I'm happy to see Spider-Man back where he belongs. I just, I would love to see him with Venom and Carnage would be the ultimate goal there. So that's, that's my piece on that. Let me ask you a quick question. Since you are our resident Spider-Man expert, what if we were running Sony and I came to you with the idea of let's go with those three properties on the screen, Venom, Spider-Man, and the Sinister Six. But in order to lead up to the Sinister Six, you have these stories that you would go ahead and put on a streaming platform, even let's say Disney Plus or Crackle or Netflix or whatever. And you'd go ahead and you put all the stories of the other individuals involved with the Sinister Six and build that up from there. I think that would be a great way to go ahead. And the Sinister Six would be the ultimate setup for that, for all these shows would come out. So what are your thoughts on that? I mean, just it's just something, like I said, that there's not enough well-known properties in the Spider-Verse in order to go ahead and carry a movie to financial success, in my opinion. No, I agree with you. And the thing with the Sinister Six, like I love the idea. I love that it would be cool to have like a a series, a small series that kind of showed the origin of some of those bad guys. But we have to remember that with the Sinister Six, they only become the Sinister Six because they are trying to kill Spider-Man. Like that is their goal in life. So it'd be hard to have a Sinister Six film without Spider-Man. So I, that would, you know, and that goes back to what I was saying. Like I would love to see Spider-Man swinging around the Sony verse as well as the MCU because he hasn't truly crossed over cinematic universes because he's never been in a Sony film. You know, we've gotten the old iterations. We've got Andrew Garfield. We have Into the Spider-Verse. We had Tommy, Tobey Maguire's. But Tom Holland, as of yet, has not been in an official Sony Spider-Man film. So I'd love to see him be able to do that as well as well, continue I mean, on. What are Far From Home and what are... Those are MCU films. All this stuff in these interviews with Kevin Feige, like he's saying he's the first to cross cinematic universes, but he hasn't been in a strictly Sony-exclusive Sony property. Yes. Okay. That's okay. I just wanted you to clarify that. No worries. Now that I'm catching up with you on that, I, I agree with you. Yeah, there's been no sign of Spidey yet, but I have a feeling come Venom 2, the one that's being directed right now by Andy Circus, I think that's going to be something that is going to happen either somewhere in the movie or an after credit scene. I think you're going to probably see something align with Tom Holland's Spider Man in some form or fashion. So, Getting back to the last thing I want to talk about when it comes to Spider-Man back into the MCU. So now he's in the MCU right now. And let's say you do have Marvel producing the next Spider-Man. And pretty much that's already been set up because he's on the run. His identity has been already outed. The faked video by Mysterio. Anybody who has already seen the end credits for Spider-Man Far From Home. I mean, the spoilers, it's already out there. I want to ask you this, when it comes to where Spider-Man can fit into Phase 4, you already know about all the projects coming to Phase 4. Where can Spider-Man fit into Phase 4? I'm not counting an Avengers in Phase 5 or anything like that. I'm saying, can he be a fit somewhere in Phase 4? Because I, I said already on previous episodes that he wasn't exactly needed at this point in time because you're trying to develop other characters. But seeing that's the case and he can be in one of the projects now that they're coming out with, what could possibly Spider-Man be a fit with in phase four of the MCU? You know, it's interesting you asked that because I was actually thinking about that. I know there's like the, the new Avengers timeline could be cool where he, he, the, you know, all the, all the villains that these people have taken out, they kind of, they break free and they start coming after the old Avengers. Like that would be cool. I don't know. Like, I feel like they took, because this specific arc was supposed to be in Civil War, the comic books, because that's what happens. Like his his identity gets leaked to the public because he's part of the Superhero Registration Act. So he no he 
he takes his mask off in front of the public after getting pressure from Tony Stark. And then all Spider-Man's enemies find out who he is. And then they end up shooting or Aunt May gets assassinated. I think she, she dies if I remember correctly. So that's what I would want to see. Like something, something heavy happened in the aftermath of him, of people finding out who he is. I don't want to see Aunt May die, but like, I just want to see, I want to see his world having ha such a happy go lucky character. I want to see his world falling apart and see how he, how he copes with that. You know, I don't know any specific, anything really specific to Spider-Man story arcs that he would fit into, especially where, with where the MCU is at this point in time. But I would love to see, I just love to see him as part of the, the newer Avengers that we have being introduced right now, like Brie Larson and all the other characters. I don't think Marissa Tomei wants to have her character killed off either. So I think she would agree with you on that, but I will say that possibly a good fit out of anything in phase four could be Dr. Strange and the multiverse of madness. Reason why I say that New York based. So they're right around each other. Scarlet witch is going to be involved. I think, and it always the talk of Spider-Man going into these different types of realms, these different types of multiverses. And he's already talked about it in far from home already. So I think that if there's anything in phase four that he might be a fit for, it could be Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. But we'll wait and see what Marvel and what Disney and what Sony have in the order of plans for Spider-Man. Because now, officially, after a not so long hiatus, he's back into the Marvel Cinematic Universe once again. And I know all the Marvel fans and I know all the superhero fans out there are truly enjoying it indeed. What are your thoughts out there on Spider-Man returning to the Marvel Cinematic Universe for at least one more shot, if not more? Please share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. You're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. Don't touch that dial. Wait, do, do people still use dials? Everyone these days could use a little support, and your friends at the ESO Network are no different. With the ESO Network Patreon, the cool thing is, is when you help support us, it's you who will benefit. With four tiers starting for as little as 25 cents a week, you can listen to some of your favorite network podcasts early, hear exclusive content, maybe get some ESO swag, or even possibly take a shot at the geek seat. All you need to do is sign up at patreon.com backslash ESO Network. Well, my friend, in the past week, we've actually seen a couple extensive looks at some games that are, are coming out here in the not-too-distant future. I want to hear your thoughts on both Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order and also The Last of Us 2. The Last of Us 2 was shown off at the State of Play by PlayStation earlier last week. And then Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, EA brought out a story trailer for that. So as we get closer to both of those releases... This fall for Jedi Fallen Order and in February 21st, 2020 of The Last of Us 2. What are your thoughts if you've taken a look of both those games? So Star Wars Fallen Order, it it looks really cool. I love the the way that it kind of feels. It, it encouraged exploration and not in the fact of like a big open world, but as in like climb things. You want to climb to the top. There might be something on here or if I use that ramp i can run along and jump to the other one i can scale this cliff i can do so many things like it does feel like the uncharted game that we were talking about that got scrapped when visceral was working on it but this is my fear right here is that i don't know if you saw in the trailer but there's a part with the mouth animations and i know that that's a flaw of the frostbite engine and you can see the main character talking but his mouth looks stuck like it's not closing it looks like he's chewing on a piece of celery with peanut butter on it like his lips aren't touching that's one way to describe it <laughs> that was kind of my fear that stuck out to me when i was watching the trailer i had to scroll back and watch it again so that would be my one fear with the facial animations and that's something that the frostbite engine sucks at doing facial animations as we know with mass effect and uh, you look at any games by EA that have been made using that engine, and they all have terrible facial animations. So I don't know why they don't just go and get a new engine or fix that flaw, because clearly they've noticed it. Even you look at the other characters in the trailer who are hanging out with this guy, their mouths don't close either. So that's the one thing that is really concerning me about this game. But everything else looks really cool. The combat looks very fluid. I love how it's tied in. It becomes canon. It looks like it actually has a great story, which is something we haven't gotten since 
Force Unleashed. And this looks more cinematic than any Star Wars game I've ever seen. So that looks really cool. Soundtrack is important to me. I would hope it has a classic Star Wars soundtrack, but with other things mixed in there that are good. And also, we got to see a lot of the lightsaber fights. And it does have, like I was telling you, has a slight Devil May Cry feel to it. My hope would be that it's not as clunky as some of the early Devil May Cry games. I would hope it plays as fluid as it looks on the screen. I agree with you wholeheartedly on the, the actual look and animation, especially with Cal Kestis, who is the hero of this game. In fact, I'm not exactly liking the actual design of Cal Kestis himself. I think I would have probably gone into a different direction. I think he looks... I don't know. Does he look a little bit Anakin Skywalker-ish to you? I don't know. It just it's to me is just not getting the vibe of someone that looks like a Jedi to be feared after Order sixty six. Just does not look like he's very imposing. Just it's not, those facial animations, man. Yeah, I know. It's just a facial facial animations. It's just it's just not there. I, I just not jiving with him a hundred percent. I just feel like he should be going back to high school or something. It just really doesn't jive well with me right now. Maybe I could get more into Cal's character as we get closer to the release date. I think with EA, I think they've had so much flack over the past three, four years with the Battlefront series that they brought out and the, the lackluster stories that they brought out with it. I think they finally are going back to something a little bit more traditional. Maybe they're also just taking a page out of J.J. Abrams who decided to play it safe with 2015's Star Wars The Force Awakens by doing something similar, just basic light versus dark. The minion of Darth Vader, who is the second sister, going after Cal, the hero, one of the former Padawans who survived Order 66 that killed most of the Jedi. So I'm thinking at this point in time, it's just going to be a traditional type Star Wars story. And I think that's good for EA because anytime they seem to have gone out of the box when it concerns Star Wars, it has not exactly fallen on praise or not exactly given the the type of things that they're looking forward to or the type of financial success ultimately. And again, I'm still actually stunned that they're doing just a single player narrative campaign. I'm still waiting for at some point in time, you go along with your mission and your campaign and a whole bunch of loot boxes will start to come out that you'll have to probably pay $7 for. I'm, I'm still waiting for some type of microtransactions to pop out. I just don't completely trust EA doing a straight single player narrative without some type of hitch. So you'll have to forgive me for my pessimism on that. But at this point, I think it looks okay. Although I know, again, as I've said before, Amy Hennig is probably going somewhere and saying, you know what, I could have done that a little bit better. But yeah, it's Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order coming this fall. We're looking forward to it as it gets closer and closer to the release date. And we'll update a little bit more on that as the weeks continue and more stuff comes out for it. It's looking okay. We have some minor issues and quibbles with it. But overall, it's going to be hopefully what we perceive as a traditional Star Wars storyline, which I think would be a safe move for Electronic Arts. And please don't throw any loot boxes or transactions. Don't mess it up. Try and go ahead and prove that you can make a quality Star Wars game. That would be greatly appreciated. But the other game this week I want to talk to you about that released an extensive amount of footage for the press and also a release date trailer, which announced February 21 of 2020 as its release date was The Last of Us 2. This game by Naughty Dog, I'm telling you what, speaking of Uncharted, it's looking really good, man. The things that she's doing now the weapons that she's utilizing, the way she's crafting weapons, the techniques and stealth that she's using as she blends into grass or as she sneaks up on individuals or as she picks up something random like a bottle and throws it at someone to go ahead and maybe throw off the rhythm before she goes ahead and attacks or how the AI, to me, is being perceived as being even smarter. They're calling out names, so you're actually having a type of identity, so it's not just henchman one to henchman two. You're hearing that, oh, you just killed my wife, or hey, you just killed my friend, and let's get that individual as far as Ellie is concerned. Let me ask you this, my friend. This looks like a classic tale of revenge from what I've seen so far when it comes to the story trailer, so I want to hear your thoughts. This still looks like a very, very engrossing game. And The Last of Us 2 looks like it's going to be, at this point in time, something that 
is very capable of not only matching up, but exceeding its predecessor. Yeah, I feel like in the trailer, they kind of spoiled a lot because they're not showing what happened to the girl, but it, they really focused on that relationship during the E3 trailer. And that's what a lot of people have been thinking about. And they show in the trailer, the newest one that you see what appears to be death, right? You see, you hear the screen, the screen goes black. And I feel like she wouldn't have reacted that way had the girl not been killed. So I've that's kind of a huge spoiler thing, a, a tale I don't think The Last of Us, well, it's a great game and it's an interesting franchise. And I trust Naughty Dog to finish it off well. I feel like a revenge tale is kind of a cheap way to wrap up that story, if that makes sense. Well, I don't know if I agree with you on that. I think that maybe for The Last of Us 3, they'll do something maybe a little bit more involved or complicated, or I guess maybe more involving the world around them, or maybe the actual virus or disease itself that caused the mutations that got the environment the way it is. I think this is a more of a personal story and they do want to go ahead and delve into Ellie's psyche and Ellie's detail a little bit more, but maybe it will expand beyond that because from what they're advertising, what the press saw in about two, three hours of the game is just a fraction of the entire game as a whole. So maybe they'll go ahead and, and delve more into detail but The Last of Us, why it connected a lot with audiences was not only the relationships that were built within the first game, but also the surrounding elements of it in that, yeah, it was kind of like a zombie story, but it's not kind of like a zombie story. It's kind of like an apocalypse story, but it's not quite like an apocalypse story. It's just something that meshed all those things together and, and did quite well in doing so. I like what I see from Last of Us 2, and yes, it is does seem to me on the surface like it's a more personal story, but for Last of Us 2, if you have plans for a Last of Us going forward, maybe this is a good story to tell at this point in time. I don't know, man. Like I, I, I feel like revenge tales are kind of outplayed. Yeah, I would like to see maybe there's a cure, and I know there's a big group of people that she's going up against. Is that going to overshadow the fact that the virus is still out there? Love to see her and uh, her and Joel back together. That was pretty cool. But, you know, I, I'm not holding out too much for the story right now. I'm going to have to dig in and play it. But uh, it, just from what I've seen, I would hope that there's more to Ellie's story. We get to see her develop a little bit more instead of just angrily going after these villains, Punisher style. You know, like I said, for me, it's a personal story that I may connect with more than you do. It's not until February, but at least right now we've got a better idea what the whole game is shaping up as, the mechanics of the game. I see they got a lot from Uncharted 4. I see a lot of Uncharted 4 as far as traversal puzzles, as far as the type of stealth that was first seen for me in Uncharted 4 of Thief's End. So it's great to see that Naughty Dog is taking steps and taking some good elements from one game and putting it into another and refining it and making it even better. So hopefully if we ever get an Uncharted 5, I hope, I hope, I hope that they'll do the same thing as far as taking the best elements of The Last of Us 2 and vice versa going forward. But like I said, both games are, are looking on the way up. They're making us very interested and more involved in what we want to see. I know Josh is a little bit more skeptical than I on the personality of Last of Us 2, and I'm a little bit more skeptical than he is on, well, the, you know, facial animations aside on the characters in Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. But here's hoping that both games will actually materialize the way we want it to. What are your thoughts out there on Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order and The Last of Us 2? Are you excited for both those games? Have you pre-ordered them already? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, popculturecosmos, humanity media, and game source on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Well, coming up next, I had a chance to talk to Jamie and Tony Monroy of Game Source. We wanted to go ahead and talk about Mario Kart Tour, the latest mobile game to come out from Nintendo, and all the controversies surrounding it, and about the paywalls and microtransactions and all that good stuff that unfortunately are a part of the game at this point in time. A lot of people love it, a lot of people hate it, but we'll talk about that as we recorded it live from the grand opening of the second location for Retro City Games in Town Square at Las Vegas, coming up right after the break. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. 
Get ready for Kitty Origins Evolutions, the latest documentary from Rob McCallum. Thrusted into heavy metal stardom as teenagers with their debut release, Kitty has thrashed and conquered the heavy metal world for the past 20 years. Kitty has defied industry norms, fought back against women and rock stereotypes, and inspired generations since they appeared. And now, for the first time, they've decided to share their untold story. Generously peppered with archival footage shot by the band, this film gives you an honest and brutal look at what it takes to survive in the music industry. Order the DVD, Blu-ray, and live CD triple pack that features recordings from throughout their 20-year illustrious history from RobMcCallumFilms.com. RobMcCallumFilms.com, your place for awesome stories about awesome people and films worth watching. Stereo coming right back at you here at the grand opening of Retro City Games right here in Town Square, right in the heart of Las Vegas, Nevada, right on Las Vegas Boulevard. If you get a chance and you're in town or you live in town, stop by Retro City Games' newest location right here on Las Vegas Boulevard at Town Square. Today we're going to actually talk to my good friends, Mr. Jamie Monroy and Mr. Tony Monroy of GameSource. you got to catch all the stuff that they're doing on GameSource on Facebook, but also as well all the great streaming action on Mixer and Twitch. We're going to talk a little bit about a mobile game. Very divisive. Some people really like it, and some people are really mad about it. And that's Nintendo's latest offering, Mario Kart Tour. So I want to ask you, Jamie, your time or lack of time spent on Mario Kart Tour, why are you having the issues that you are? Is there a problem with it? And what exactly needs to be fixed? And Tony, don't worry, I'm coming to you next. Well, you know, I downloaded it, got in day one. Smooth transition, downloaded fine, got right in, played through the tutorial, learned you're going left and right steering. I went with drifting. There actually is two modes. You have like a basic steering. Then you have drift, where it's a little more open, so you're drifting, which I prefer. So went with that, jumped in, was given Toad as my first driver, jumped in, played one, played fine, played really smooth. I liked it. The only problem I'm seeing with it is that dreaded word that we don't like with most games nowadays called the dreaded microtransaction. You're looking at paying, if I remember correctly, it's $4.99 for their subscription service, which is horrible if you don't stop and think about it. You already have a Switch and you're already paying for Nintendo Online. This is not going to cover you on this end. You're paying them extra to play Mario Kart, which is ridiculous because you could just play Mario Kart on your Switch on the go on your TV on the Switch and have the freedom to just play as you want and not pay them any extra, I'm not enticed to do it. I'm actually more enticed to just take it off my phone. My goodness, that's a very disgruntled Nintendo customer there for you. But Tony, are you feeling those same vibes? Because again, as we've walked throughout the store, we've heard for and against Mario Kart Tour. So I want to hear your thoughts, man. Is it the real deal for you? I know a lot of people have already been playing it, getting into it. I know my daughter said that her friends at school are playing it. So I want to hear your thoughts on Mario Kart Tour. I think it plays pretty well. Like, it it feels smooth. It doesn't feel, like, choppy or anything for being a mobile game. It took a little bit to get used to the swiping for drifting and stuff like that. It's, It's a little bit of a weird control. I also wish you could go into horizontal rather than having to keep your phone up and down to play. I think it's just a little awkward to play like that. The subscription fee, the fact that it costs more for that than it does for Nintendo Switch overall, it's a little weird. I wish they hadn't have done it. I think that would be a... It would have been better overall if they hadn't done it. But I do think it's it's cool because I hear a lot of people that aren't usually into Nintendo games and stuff like that have been playing it a lot more. So I think it opens that up at least. And that's a good thing for, like you said, people that are not as familiar or not as reticent to play Nintendo games, that it is something that they now want to go ahead and get into. But, right, with me, always it's about the microtransactions. And, yeah, while it is free to entry, free to try, free to get into, it's still, there's a lot of paywalls there that I'm not sure a lot of people are liking so much. I know you, Jamie, are really not having a good time with it. All over again. It's all Super Mario Run. I downloaded that when it first came out, got in on that early. It's not been on my phone since about a week after it came out because of the same exact reason. And I just don't agree with why they need to do that. 
I mean, if you're making money off Nintendo Switch Online, is that hurting? Are they lacking thereof in subscribers for that? Possible. Question one. Let me ask you a question, Joe. How do you feel about this with this launching right now? Getting the criticism it's getting from us and other various people, but also the glory, the fame that it's getting with the younger crowd that we've heard saying, oh, it's great, I love playing it. Do you think this is a way for them to boost maybe more attention to those owners that aren't adopting Switches yet to maybe adopt a Switch on top of paying for this? Absolutely. I think that's a very astute observation. And I think that also as well that you're seeing not a total backlash from it. You're seeing a backlash for people such as yourself, you know, you, Tony, see it from me. You see it from hardcore gamers, but you don't see it from the casual gamers. You don't hear that much from the casual gamers. What articles I've seen have been more flavored towards a hardcore base. And I think as long as the casual gamers buy in, that's Nintendo's plan is that they're not catering this game, even though it's something we all know and love. It's based off of a property we all know and love. It's not something that they really want to cater 100% to us. They want to introduce casual players and especially younger players into it that hopefully, like you said, well, if I like this, I'll go ahead and spend a little money on it here and there. And if I like it even more, I may go ahead and guess what? Buy a Switch, buy some games from there, play the big boy Mario Kart, and go from there. So, you know, it all depends on the backlash, but I don't think it's as severe as they're making it out to be. Like I said, I mean, we've gone through the store already and we've spoken to a few people just in passing and half said they don't like it, but half said they do. And as long as there's a large percentage of people that do and that are playing it, you know what? It's still going to continue on. And Nintendo rarely admits mistakes. They rarely admit their own mistakes. And, and that's, a, that's a shame because, you know, they would have admitted a mistake a long time ago with the Wii U and all that. There's some other stuff that they failed on. But this could be one of their success stories. Whether or not it will be, I would love to see them bring down the price. But having it be as expensive as Nintendo's online service for the Switch, which I think is a great value. It's interesting. The $5 price point is a great value for the Switch, but it's a horrible value for mobile phone owners. Uh, towards one game where versus you're spending five dollars on the switch for a library of games that's the difference that is the difference and i agree with you wholeheartedly on that one last thing i want to talk to you about and that is with mario kart tour do you see this as a initial entry point for nintendo because pokemon go is really not their property it's it's basically in Niantic, and you know i mean yeah it's their property but it's not really their baby per se it's Niantic. you know they're the ones responsible for doing it and taking care of it nintendo's dipped their toe in the waters with mobile stuff before do you see this as now if it's successful enough being a launching point and being setting the precedent for the future on going forward on how they're going to go ahead and conduct their mobile gaming i think it will i think they're going to start putting more towards it because you have things like the uh, Apple Arcade that are, that are coming out and stuff like that, and there, more people are, are gaming mobily. So more than likely, especially because of how many casual players are enjoying Mario Kart Tour, whatever it may be, they're going to bring more of their IPs to mobile in some way, shape, or form. But when you, when you look at it from a, a casual mobile market perspective, when you have things like Clash of Clans and Angry Birds and stuff like that, when people have been used to paying for power-ups and stuff for years. I guess it makes more sense than that. But obviously, as you said, like the hardcore, we're not really familiar with that. We don't like that. That's why we don't like mobile games. I cannot wait for The Legend of Zelda, the adventure of microtransactions. Right. But I do see, like you said, if this is a doorway, this is their way of opening a door to mobile gaming as a whole. Look at it this way. We're paying what we're paying for Switch Online. We're getting that library of Super Nintendo games, Nintendo games. Maybe this is more of a dip in the water to see if they can push those games to mobile and have mobile players spend that $5 to have that library of old school classics on their phone. Very interesting indeed. Well, we're going to see over the next weeks and months just how effective and how persistent and consistent Mario Kart World Tour will be as far as a mobile game. Will it be something that people are playing with? Because right now, as my daughter tells me, and as I've seen, and as I've seen the activity, Harry Potter's got their own little game that's actually based off a lot of, and steals a lot of, and borrows a lot of from Pokemon Go that's really getting a lot of people interested in it. And of course, there's still Pokemon Go around. So you've got all these different entities trying to buy for your mobile time and, and patience and also your dollar when it comes to microtransactions. So we'll see how that goes. 
very interesting to see how it plays out. But for us here at Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Stores, I want to ask you one last thing. I know you guys love to stream. What is your handle? How can people get a hold of what you guys are doing, what you guys are up to when it comes to when you're streaming some great video game action? You can find me, Tony, at twitch.tv slash darktales with two Zs and over on Twitter at twitter.com slash whitewolfxecho. You can find me on twitch.tv slash degenerate2018. Also, degenerate08 on Mixer, streaming Borderlands 3, and I'll take requests, so let me know. Thanks, guys. I appreciate you being part of it. Right here at Retro City Games in Town Square. Again, we're here for the grand opening. Just been a great time. If you want to come by and see some real great pop culture collectibles, video games, and so much more, check out Retro City Games right here in Town Square on Las Vegas Boulevard. And, of course, their home store in Henderson. Thanks, guys. I appreciate you being part of the show. And thanks, guys, for sharing your thoughts on Mario Kart Tour right here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. You're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. Well, we had a chance to hear what Tony and Jamie from Game Source had to say in regards to Mario Kart Tour. I know you wanted to weigh in with that. Plus, also, we'll talk a little bit about Kevin Feige and Star Wars, that which we talked about on our previous episode with Ben Arnault. So, first off, my friend, you heard what Tony and Jamie had to say in regards to Game Source. Jamie and Tony were, eh. A little bit on the fence, especially Jamie, a little bit upset with the paywalls that are out there for Mario Kart Tour. Your thoughts on Mario Kart Tour and it's almost, what, $5 a month cost, not including microtransactions and the whole nine yards that you have to go through in order to really enjoy and delve into the game. Yeah, this is why I think that taking a major video game IP from a console and putting it onto a mobile platform is never a good idea and it's never going to work because of this. You know, from what I understand, you can't enjoy the game without paying for it. So what is the point? It's the same thing with like the Super Mario Run was kind of like that too. You pay for more levels and stuff like that. Sega does the same exact thing with their Sega Legends games they release. You can play a game that's riddled with ads or you can pay five bucks to have no ads. Mobile gaming is like telemarketing, and it really bothers me because everyone wants to make a buck, and they're taking something as pure as Mario Kart, and they're charging you for it. You already pay Mario Kart 8 on Switch is already $60, so you already have that game, but you just want to be able to play it on the mobile phone. That'd be fun. I could connect with friends online and, and race them, but wait, I have to pay $5 a month plus in order. I can't unlock anything like I would through the normal game. What is the point of that? Like, why don't they just charge you outright for the game and then take all that stuff out of it? Because I feel like that would be a lot less insulting than giving us this app and then making us pay for stuff in game. Oh, you like that? Well, you should pay this in order to move on. I think that's total telemarketing tactics. I hear you, my friend. I definitely hear you on that. But if anybody out there has any thoughts on Mario Kart Tour, are you liking the actual pay program, the paywalls behind it? Or do you think that it's wrong that it costs just as much as a Nintendo Switch subscription out there? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. One last thing before we head to a break, my friend, I want to ask you this. I know Ben Arnaud and I talked about it on our previous episode, but I do want to hear your thoughts. I know you wanted to weigh in with it, with Kevin Feige being now involved to at least a little extent into the Star Wars universe. I'm curious what his involvement is going to be exactly. And I also feel like if it's something he wants to do and he likes, it could be a good transition out of Marvel films into another universe. Because I imagine he's kind of worn out of doing the MCU type thing. And it's he's created a system of films that can kind of sustain themselves if they have the right leadership. And of course, I'm sure he would mentor whoever was taking over the role. But this could be a, a good chance for him to get out there and tell another story, bring what made, because the Star Wars universe so far is not spectacular, the new one. So if he could bring the talents that he brought to the Marvel Cinematic Universe onto the Star Wars thing, that would be really cool. That would be interesting. That could be something that a lot of people would get behind. And it might also unite all the different factions of Star Wars fans. But the timing of it was weird just based on the Spider-Man deal. So I've seen a lot of things saying, you know, Disney turned down the deal because Kevin Feige was moving on to work on Star Wars. I don't know how true that is, but what are your thoughts on it? I just would be laughing at the day at the end of Star Wars Episode Ten in the end credits, Mace Windu showing up and saying, there was a dream 
a dream of a collected humor. <laughs> I don't want to go into that, but everybody knows the deal. I know it's for just at least one movie now, but I know he's a Star Wars geek. I know he has a large and vast Star Wars collection of his own and is very familiar with the Star Wars universe and properties. So him now being involved with the Star Wars universe can only, to me, be perceived as a plus. I'm hoping it will be for more than one movie and that he'll actually go and get involved more. But I know Kathleen Kennedy is there as well, who has brought the whole Lucasfilm entity back to life after the purchase by Disney of Lucasfilm from George Lucas. I'm not sure that she's done the most outstanding of jobs. It's debatable. I know some people say yes. Some people definitely say no. I hope it will be Kevin Feige at some point in time is going to take the reins over on that. I'm hoping it will be just more than producing one film because for him and also the fans out there, I think once you get a taste of Star Wars, for him, it's going to be something that he wants to get more into. And you're right. I eventually see a day where there possibly could be something of him going over and becoming the master of the Star Wars universe and overseeing that and handing over the Marvel universe to somebody else. I'm hoping that that's the case because the, the ship is right now with Marvel. The ship needs to become right with Star Wars because there's all this uncertainty after episode nine that I'm kind of fearful of where it will go next. And I love the fact that Kevin Feige is now involved, at least to some extent, with the Star Wars universe. And I'm hoping for good things to come when it comes to Star Wars properties I will see down the road. What are your thoughts out there? Again, let us know on Kevin Feige and Star Wars, PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Well, coming up next, right after the break, Josh and I are going to be talking about numbers 81 to 90 on our top 200 video games of all time. Plus, our thoughts on the best Geico commercials. Well, we had to weigh in with our thoughts on the best Geico commercials coming up as we close out the show. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. If you need your video game fix, be sure to check out Retro City Games. Located in Town Square on Las Vegas Boulevard or in Henderson, Nevada, Retro City Games has the cure for all your video game vices. Retro games and games for current consoles, Nintendo, Sega, PlayStation, Xbox, and more. Retro City Games has all the staples from any library and some highly collectible offerings too. So pick up a few games today at Retro City Games in Town Square on Las Vegas Boulevard or in Henderson, Nevada. Retro City Games is your video game metropolis and we're back to close out the pop culture cosmos if you need a listing of where we're at because we're being played all around the world seven days a week on radio stations worldwide you can get a listing today at pop culture cosmos on facebook where you also see a listing of many of our podcast options because i know we're well over 30 so check it out today for many of those listings at pop culture cosmos on facebook my friend you've got a great thing going on with congratulations you suck I know it's sold well over the past few weeks, but I want to hear more info on how you can get your awesome novel, Congratulations, You Suck. Uh, you can pick it up on Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, Book Locker, Inc., and there's some other resellers that have it as well. I'm just blown away by all the positive feedback I've gotten from it, and if you've read it and you've reached out to me, thank you so much. I really want to get it out to more people, and that's not so much me wanting to make money off of it as much as it is me just wanting to see what it can do for other people. Cause I've heard a lot of people saying thank you know, thanking me for talking about things I was terrified to talk about. So I'd love to get it out there to more people. So if you do me a favor and share the book, let people know about it, talk about it, put it on your social media pages, whatever, I would greatly appreciate it. But getting on the New York Times bestseller list and making a chunk of change won't be so bad either. And one step at a time. One step at a time. That is, again, Congratulations, You Suck. You can get it today at barnesandnoble.com, amazon.com, the Nook, the Kindle, or just stop by your local Barnes & Noble and ask for Josh Peterson's Congratulations, You Suck. Well, I want to thank, first off, before we head on out, Jamie and Tony Monroy from GameSource for sharing their thoughts on Mario Kart Tour, the latest mobile game from Nintendo, from the second and brand-new location of Retro City Games, in the middle of Town Square on Las Vegas Boulevard. If you're visiting Las Vegas or you're a local resident, check it out today for your latest pop culture collectibles. But before we head on out, we got to talk about our list of the top 200 video games of all time as determined by our followers of the Pop Culture Cosmos. Let's hit to 81 to 90. Back on the list. Here we go. At number 90, it's the original Bomberman. 
Number 89 is Blood Rain 2. Number 88 is one I know you're going to talk about and enjoy, Assassin's Creed 2. Number 87 is the original Street Fighter. Number 86 is Snow Brothers. Number 85 is Shadow of the Colossus. Number 84 is Samurai Showdown. Number 83 is Red Dead Redemption. Number 82 is Shin Megami Tensei, Persona Ford Golden. And number 81, ooh, that's a classic one as well, Ninja Gaiden Black. So this is a really good list to talk about. What are some of the games that, that you've played that you've enjoyed on our list from 81 to 90? Bomberman is a game that I loved in its later versions, but I never got to play the original one. So Blood Rain 2, Blood Rain is a, a franchise that I, I know people like it, and I know there's movies and comic books and all kinds of stuff about it, but it's not something that I have ever played personally. Bad movies, really bad movies. <laughs> that's, that's what I hear. Assassin's Creed 2, all right, let's talk about this one. It was the first time Assassin's Creed really fleshed out a character. You know, not just the past character of Desmond Miles, but also the past character in SEO Auditory. So that was really cool. Well, it was a really cool moment. It's also the beginning of, you know, them expanding these Assassin's Creed games into so many games. So we're on Assassin's Creed. We're still at Assassin's Creed 4. We just had all these extra, like, spinoff titles and stuff. So while they've been good, it's just it's been a weird model. They learned a lot of lessons from Assassin's Creed 1 during the development of this game, and that's something I do appreciate. Street Fighter, every kid remembers playing this game. If you were born in the 90s, 80s, whatever it was, like you have, probably have memories playing this game at Pizza Hut. But while I, I enjoy it, I'm not good enough at fighting games to really comment on it. How dare uh, you destroy my dreams from Pizza Hut? No, I... Uh, it was I, actually Straw Hat Pizza at that point. <laughs> I'll have you know. So my Pizza Hut up the street from me, when I was a kid, my parents would take me every Friday. And they had a Simpsons game. And then they had this one, I forget what it was called, but it was like... You was wrote, it Hit and Run? Uh, no, it's just a Simpsons arcade game. And it had four players on it. You can swing Marge's vacuum and stuff like that. Hit and Run's a great game, by the way. But they also had this like red motorcycle game that you could play. And I was at this arcade down in Santa Ana. So they had this cool thing. It's like a barcade. So you order a beer and they have just tons and tons of old arcades in there but they had the this red motorcycle game that i remember playing and i sat on it and instantly i was seven years old again sitting in pizza hut waiting for my parents to get the pizza while i dumped quarters into this arcade moving on here shadow of the colossus this is actually an interesting game because while i really love it i've had some people like i've recommended it to students of mine and they come back and tell me that they didn't get it. But what's interesting about this game is that it is hard to get. Like, the game is a metaphor. You know, you have this kid going around there, and he's taking out all these colossuses, but he doesn't understand why he's fighting them or what they did. And they're not really bad guys. It's just, it's a very philosophical concept. And it's something that I see why it was popular way back when, but it's not something that could really survive in today's gaming market, which is why the remaster didn't really sell as many copies as they were hoping it would. Going on to here, Red Dead Redemption. That was a game that I played, but I got burnt out on really fast. Still haven't played Red Dead 2. It's just not my style game. Ninja Gaiden Black is the last one on this list that I have played. Loved the game. Crazy hard, though. I remember sitting here trying to fight these bosses, and I just could not. This was the first game that, like, I hated the fact that it didn't have an easy mode. It had one mode to play, and you, I know you unlock more after the game, but... I love the franchise, but I got far enough into the game, probably about eight hours in, no, six hours in, and there was one boss I couldn't beat, so I never got to see how the game ended. What do you have on this list that you have fond memories of? Straw Hat and Pizza Hut aside, I will say Street Fighter obviously is a great game that a lot of people enjoyed right off the bat. I know it got more popularized as newer editions or newer iterations in the series came out. It got even more popular I know Street Fighter, when it came to consoles, I think that was probably a big step in the right direction. I think that's probably what popularized it even more. I know Assassin's Creed 2 is considered by many to be the best in the Assassin's Creed franchise. I know it was a substantial leap, pun intended, over its predecessor. I think if it weren't for the success of the Assassin's Creed 2, I think the series as a whole would not have evolved and probably would not have extended itself to where it was today if it weren't for Assassin's Creed 2, which again is considered by many 
to be one of the best, if not the best in the series. But yeah, this is a great list. Red Dead Redemption, I finished. I, I enjoyed my time with it. And last but not least, Ninja Gaiden Black. It is one of the most difficult and frustrating experiences to gamers, but also one of the most compelling and, and one of the most interesting games out there that a lot of people enjoyed from that series of time when it came out in early to mid-2000s when the Ninja Gaiden series was really starting to evolve as a series. And I really think that Ninja Gaiden Black is the best in the Ninja Gaiden series. It is very challenging, but it's also provided a, a great bit of interest and intrigue to the Ninja Gaiden series as a whole. And I think it's something that a lot of people, if they want to go ahead and delve into the Ninja Gaiden series at all, I think Ninja Gaiden Black is probably where you want to go. That's our list right now between 81 and 90 on our top 200 video games of all time. If you want to check out our entire list in full, check it out today on popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. Whether it's a new game or whether it's a game from the past, you'll be able to read up on our thoughts on the top 200 video games as voted by our listeners and followers. Before we head on out, we've got to be talking some Geico commercials because, again, I came across an article talking about the best Geico commercials out there. So I've given you a chance, man, to think about it, to look into it, and I want to hear your thoughts on the best Geico commercials from a company that's always tried to go ahead and think outside of the box when it comes to how they present their commercials. Yeah, I know I had said this before the show. I'd really love to do a count our favorite farmers commercials. Farmers. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Yeah. So the Happy Hump Day commercial, well, it's funny. It's kind of annoying because it reminds me too much of my nephew. But um, whoop, whoop. so my top three here. So I love the, the caveman one. That's probably at number three. I love the reality show one. And that got an honorable mention, I see. But my favorite is Maxwell the pig. There's something about watching that pig stand out the window going, Wee! the little spinners. It just makes me laugh every time I see it. Well, I'm going to give you my top five. And my number one is not even on this list. And I'm very mad that it isn't even considered on this list. Or I don't know if it was voted upon. I, just like I said, I came across it just recently. So I don't even know if it was part of that vote. But for me, number five is the squirrels, where the squirrels are giving each other a high five after they caused an accident. Number four is Caveman Airport. And I really think that the caveman is one of the most underrated commercial characters that have ever been created. Number three is hump day it's got a lot of humor to it and it's really kind of funny with the camel in the business office going whoop, whoop, hump day whoop, whoop. number two is spy i really get a kick out of spy man at that commercial with mom trying to call her son while he's trying to fight off evil henchmen at the top of a building with a helicopter involved that one is really, really funny for reasons which if you are an older individual and have a mom that always calls you, you can relate. I can relate to that. I can be doing like two or three different things. I could be recording a show with you and mom will call on the phone and say, you know what, Gerald, you got to listen to it because you got to have your respect for your mom. Even though moms never have the greatest of timing in the world, it's still that spy commercial reminds me a lot of that. And number one for me on the all-time favorite Geico commercials is He-Man. With He-Man just right there, just starting to set it up like a normal episode, then all of a sudden Skeletor, and then they're trying to go ahead. You can save 20% that whole nine yards, but it's the last line. I, I still want to get a t-shirt of this made at some point in time in my life of Skeletor. Skeletor is the hero of this commercial, and that's why I think it's so funny. But, you know, when he goes out and he goes ahead and makes He-Man look a little bit silly. And, and He-Man, also Tila and Man-in-Arms, they look a little silly in the commercial because he actually gets the one-up on He-Man. And as Skeletor goes on out, the famous line that I love so much, catch you on the flip, suckers. I got to get a t-shirt like that. That's just awesome. Just too funny indeed. That is our picks for the top Geico commercials, a staple now of pop culture with their creativity and all the fun that they've had over the years with trying to go ahead and, and produce these commercials and continue success to them in doing so. And no, we weren't sponsored by Geico, but you know, they can always, if they want to. My friend, it's been a great time. Any last thoughts on the way out? We just put up a new topic, Ocalypse, with Tony Monroy of Game Source. You can tune into that. It's up on the Topic Ocalypse feed, and I scheduled it to go out on the Pop Culture Cosmos feed, so tune in. 
Wow, I didn't even know you'd schedule that. You guys are going behind my back. I love it. I love it. But you know what I say? I'm not going to be He-Man. I'm going to be Skeletor. And I'm going to say to everyone out there, catch you on the flip, suckers. Wait, you got to do the laugh, too. (laughs) I don't know if that's a good laugh. Yeah. (laughs) So for Josh Peterson, this is Gerald Glassford. It's another beautiful day right here in the pop culture cosmos. We thank you for listening. Catch you on the flip, suckers. (laughs) And here's hoping you have yourself a great. Okay, let's talk about the Flopcast. Where every week we drink a lot of coffee and we talk about comic books, movies, conventions, music, Saturday morning cartoons. Oh, don't forget the coffee. Lots of weird, obscure pop culture stuff from the 70s and 80s. And chickens. Yeah, chickens. This will be the stupidest half hour of your week. We guarantee it. You can find us on the ESO Network. And... Flopcast.net. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. Tangentboundnetwork.com. Thanks so much for downloading the Pop Culture Cosmos and stay tuned as more great podcasts are on the way. Thanks again for listening to us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos.